Uh, parents and uh, children, uh, the next 25 minutes, and I promise it is shorter than usual, is a partnership between me and you and God. So children, what we're doing now is we're going to listen to the living God in His Word. And uh, that's why I provided these sheets. If you haven't got one of these sheets and you're a child in here, I used to be a teacher. I will be moving throughout the room during the talk and naming and shaming those who haven't got sheets. I did preach away at another church a couple of weeks ago and accidentally uh, named and shamed a guy on the back row who fell asleep in my sermon. Um, I'll try and avoid doing that, adults. Um, but it's a partnership between us as we're going to l- listen to the living God. And uh, what we're looking at today is uh, what a church should be like. So I wonder if, if there's the perfect church, the ideal church, well, maybe you could imagine this church. What would it be like? For instance, what, what would the people in that church be like? Anyone tell me, what would the people in a, an ideal church be like? What do you think? Loving, Loving? yeah. Sorry, Seth. Friendly. Be friendly, yeah. Kind to one another. What sort of things might they do? What would you do in an ideal church when you got together? You might, you, know, you might give, to, give to the law, give to one another. What else might you do when you got together in a church? Pray. Thank you, Hazel. Get alongside. Get alongside one another. Yeah. Okay, those are some things you might do in an ideal church when you got together. And what would their lives be about day by day? Say when they didn't get together in a big group as church, what would their lives be about day by day? Anyone who's a bit younger, children, those young people under, under 20, what would their lives be about? Yeah, go on. Yeah. Their lives would be about God. Their lives would be about God day by day. Well, that's what a Paul, Paul's written this letter to the church in Rome. He wrote it around about AD 57. And uh, right at the start of the letter, he tells them about what he's like. He's an apostle sent by God with this message about Jesus. He tells them about what he wants to do. He wants to visit them and see them. And he explains why he can't see them. And then, for 14 and a half chapters that we've been looking at over the whole of the year here at Chessington in the mornings, he explains the great news about Jesus, how we can have a friendship with God through Jesus' death and resurrection of the cross. And then, at the end of the letter, he comes back to explaining what he's like and what the church is like and why he wants to come and see them. And as he does that... As he teaches them the sort of church they should be, he also teaches them us the sort of church that we should be. If we believe that nothing beats knowing Jesus, if we believe that is the good news for the whole world, what sort of church should we be? What should we be like? And there's four things we're going to see. They're all from the Bible passage. If you've got a sheet, all the answers are in the book. Okay, it's nice and easy. And the first is, this is the purpose, Paul's gospel purpose. Paul's gospel purpose. Now, kids, what was your school term report like? What was it like? Yeah, Chloe, what was your report like? Was it okay? We were going through the family archives. We found the reports of a certain Catherine Stockwood, known to you as Boo, Marion Jones, Here's, here's one from 1974, age five. Catherine has settled down at school, is beginning to work by herself, although rather intermittently, as she is so interested in what everyone else is doing. <laughs> Her reading vocabulary is growing quickly, and she's beginning to do written work herself. She's made a good beginning with numbers and can do simple sums. Catherine enjoys playing with the other children, although sometimes she finds it difficult to give and take. Well, I wonder what your school report was like, 
the end of this term. Look at the report Paul writes about the Romans in verse 14. He says, I am myself convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Wouldn't that be a great description of us as a church? Full of goodness. That doesn't mean they were good all the time. We saw last week that there were times when they were in danger of looking down on each other, judging each other. But it meant that when push came to shove, this was a church that loved each other. And they're filled with the knowledge of Jesus, even to the extent that they can tell each other about him. They can teach each other. So if you're the pastor of a church, or if you're a fusion leader, or if you lead a life group, or teach in YPF, your job is to do yourself out of a job. All the time we're trying to teach people so that they can tell each other about Jesus, encourage each other about Jesus, help one another love Jesus more. But becoming a a church like that is, is a job that's never finished. Look what Paul says in verse 15. Yet I have written to you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me. I know you know this stuff, says Paul, but you need to keep hearing it. You see, the gospel, the good news about Jesus is how you start the Christian life. It's how you keep going in the Christian life. And it's what will take you to the end of the Christian life, following Jesus till you go to heaven. And as that goes on, Paul has actually a huge purpose in mind, an enormous goal for his work. He tells them about the job God's given him in verse 16. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles... He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, back in the Old Testament, in the temple in the middle of Jerusalem, there were priests. And the job of the priest was to perform sacrifices that made the people acceptable to God. I see you might turn up, kids, with your little uh, lovely, perfect lamb. And the priest would help you slit its throat, and so all its blood poured out into a bowl, and then cut it up into pieces the right size so you could burn it and put it on the altar. He'd help your sacrifice to be an acceptable offering to God. And Paul says, I'm I'm like one of those priests, but, but I'm telling people about the one sacrifice that makes them acceptable to God, the death of the Lord Jesus. And actually, God's given me an enormous task I'm going to tell people from all over the world about Jesus so that they become acceptable to God. You see, down in verse 16, that word Gentiles, it's actually a little word ethnos. We get our word ethnic from that, adults. That that means that these are people from tribes and tongues and nations all over the world, different people. And Paul tells them about the good news of Jesus so that they're brought into the church. And the church we've been seeing in Romans is actually a supernatural community of love. If you've got a sheet, you'll see that you might need those words. It's a supernatural community of love brought together by the good news of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. So so Paul is saying, this telling people about Jesus has a purpose. I'm bringing together from all over the world, from people of different colors and backgrounds and countries, a supernatural community of love by the power of God's Holy Spirit as I tell them about Jesus. And that's going to be presented to God, acceptable to him. 
Now, who can tell me what we were remembering? Uh, this week has been in the news a lot. It's been the 50th anniversary of what? 50th anniversary. You all know what happened? 50. Going to the moon, the Apollo 11 mission, going to the moon. Now, when the uh, President of America, John F. Kennedy, in 1961, visited NASA, yeah, he, uh, he went around, he was asking people what they did, and, and, and standing in one corner was, was a guy with a mop. He was the cleaner, just standing there, you know, waiting for the President, holding his mop. So JFK went over to the guy with the mop and said, what is, uh, what is your job at NASA? It's pretty obvious, isn't he, the cleaner? But do you know what the man answered? He said, sir, I'm helping to put a man on the moon. That's what he was doing. And eight years later, he's proved right. It was vital that he cleaned so that the whole project could get the man to the moon in 1969. That enormous, probably the most amazing scientific uh, uh, feat ever achieved by humankind, well, actually, he needed a man with a mop to clean the space center. And Paul says, I'm about the most amazing thing that's, that's actually going to happen to the whole of history. A whole group of people from nations and tribes that actually hate each other and can't get on and, and don't even like God, by the power of this good news about Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, are made into a supernatural community of love and made acceptable to God forever. And so, do you know what that means? Well, do you see the end of verse 18, how he does that? He says, leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and what I've done. He, he speaks about Jesus, and he, he does things for Jesus. In Paul's case, it was supernatural miracles, signs and wonders. Now, God might do miracles through you, but, but we're not apostles like Paul. So it's, it's more likely that the miraculous God will do through you is the miraculous thing of being kind to someone you don't particularly like because you know Jesus loves you. Or telling someone you're a bit embarrassed to talk to about what you've learned at Fusion. Or adults owning up at work that you're a Christian just after Christians on the news have been made to look ridiculous. That might be the, the extraordinary power, the miracle that God works in you. But because every time we tell someone about Jesus, whether that's uh, reading the story in Crash, whether that's speaking to a, a friend at school about what you learned in JF this week, or whether that's giving, giving a talk up front at YPF, everything that we do so that people hear about Jesus, from cleaning the King Center to, to handing out food to those who are struggling, is part of this enormous purpose of preparing a supernatural community of love to be presented to God through the person of Jesus Christ. And one day the Bible says, everyone will see that. Because in the last book of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 11, it's recorded that the, it says this. Let me read it to you. Revelation 7, 9. There'll be a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. They'll be standing before the throne where Jesus will be and they'll be singing praise to him. That's Paul's gospel purpose. Looking to that day, that's what he's doing. That's what we should be about. And that means he's got one priority. Here's his gospel priority. Uh, look at verse 20 with me, down at verse 20. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. 
See, Paul's priority is telling people who don't yet know Jesus the gospel, the good news. It's, it's not a bad thing to, to build on someone's foundation. What he means by that is to encourage people who are already Christians. But far more exciting for Paul is telling those who are not yet Christians. Paul quotes here from a passage, a famous passage in the Old Testament in verse 21. It's Isaiah 53. Rather, as it is written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. It's a prophecy all about Jesus' death on the cross. And with Jesus' death on the cross, the, the gospel, the good news, goes global. Because as Jesus dies, that means anyone and everyone can come to follow him and have friendship with God forever. And so Paul says, I want to tell them. That's my priority. I want to tell people who've not yet heard of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder, kids, can you think of the best news you've ever had? Adults, can you think of the best news you've ever had? When you, when you get great news, you want to share it, don't you? You want to share it with those who, who've not heard for themselves. Uh, apparently, I, I started, um, we were Boo and I, my wife and I were married 27 years this week. Um, and so, I know, she needs a lot of congratulations. The, um, we were married 27 years this week. Apparently, when I started dating Boo, I went to, I went to tell my, uh, my best friend's girlfriend. She lived down this, this corridor in her college, which was literally a mile long. It went all the way down a road and round the corner. And apparently, I ran down this corridor, sort of singing to myself, boo, 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 boo. Slightly cheesy, I know, but true. Yeah? I was really excited. But, but the good news about Jesus is not just something we want to share because it's great. It's something we want to share because it's, it's life-saving. It's the difference between life and death. Can, can you imagine if at work you went and you, you found a fire in a storeroom? Or maybe at school you, you went into the hall and there was a fire in the school kitchen. Well, you'd, you'd want to go and tell people. You'd, you'd run maybe to the office and, and, and tell the head. Or, or at work, maybe you'd move from room to room, checking that people were, were out and that they knew that the, the fire was there. You'd, you'd hit the alarm. You'd be desperate for people to know. Well, that's a little bit more about what the gospel is like. It's not just good, it's vital. It's the difference between life forever as a friend of God or life forever punished by God as his enemy. That's what the gospel is. And that's why Paul's priority is taking that news to those who've not yet heard it. And of course, that should be the priority of anyone who believes the gospel is true. If you believe the good news of Jesus is true and you have a jot of love for anyone else, surely that should be your priority. They're in a building filled with flames, facing certain death. Surely that should be your priority? That should be our priority, shouldn't it? That's, that's why we have pray, go, invite. Because I don't know about you, I know that should be my priority, but I find it hard to do. And I'm paid <laughs> to do it. We need to pray for God's help. We need, we need to go to those who've not yet heard of Christ. And we need to invite them, invite them into a relationship that he died to make possible for them. We, we have at the back, actually, um, uh, some tracks, some little leaflets that help people understand the good news of the gospel. They're just this size. Well, why not take some? I've put them on the, the table in the middle. Take some. Just, just have them in your pocket. 
And, and then maybe when, when the Amazon man comes to your door, you say, thank you for the parcel. It's so kind for delivering it. I'll sign there. Would you like to take one of these leaflets? I just think it's the best news in the world. Or maybe when you know you go out of the checkout a little, you could say, thank you very much indeed for uh, being so prompt. The queue was five miles long, and I'm glad to be at the front of it. But would you like one of these, uh, one of these little leaflets that I think is the best news in the world? And, and maybe, maybe then at the school, maybe when you're talking to your friends about what you do at the weekend, you could say, look, I'm, I've got a leaflet that tells you what the best news in the world is. Well, there are a variety of ways we can tell people this fantastic news, that news that must be our priority, that they hear the news of the gospel. That's why we have Adventures and Fusion Club. They're not childcare for Christian kids. It's so that people can't, who know the news about Jesus, yeah, you guys on the devices, don't mind you playing with them, but if you play with them in a way that disturbs me, I'll name and shame you. Okay? The good news about Jesus, we tell them so that they can come to follow him. Yep, so that they know him for themselves. That's why we're sending Ben and Emily to Sweden. Sweden's a country that's desperately lacking good news about Jesus, the gospel. It's going to be hard for them. It's going to be difficult. But we've got to send them but because they desperately need to hear about Jesus. You see, the gospel purpose is gathering this community of love. The gospel priority, therefore, is that people hear this news that is the difference between life and death. And that means, thirdly, gospel partnership. Look, look what Paul says in verse 24 with me. I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and that you will assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. And it sounds like Paul's holiday itinerary, doesn't it? But, but in Paul's day, Spain, it wasn't a place you went to, to get a tan or to, to lie on the beach. It was a sort of wild place, uh, the back of beyond, where, where people hadn't heard the gospel of Jesus. And the assistance that Paul wants here, you know, it's not to borrow sun cream or a travel guide. No, no it's, it's money for his, his traveling. It's people to go with him and to help him in the task of preaching the gospel. But first he says, I'm, I'm off to Jerusalem. I've got a, a gift of money for the church there. Just like Food Bank, actually, it was great that we did this today. The church in Jerusalem were, were short of food. There was a famine. They were quite poor. And Paul says, do you remember that, that actually this, this gospel of Jesus Christ came from the Jewish church because Jesus was a Jew. He fulfilled all the promises to the Jews. And so they sent the missionaries to you that told you Greeks, you Gentiles, about Jesus. And therefore, the, the Greek and the Gentile churches, they're only too happy now to, to give some money to support the, the Jewish church. It's all very practical, isn't it? It's about one church giving to another something that they don't have. It's about churches sharing together. It's about Paul visiting them, wanting to encourage them. Uh, look how he describes that in, in verse 29. He says, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. That's, that's not some sort of um, mystical experience. That's, that's not that Paul has more blessing than anyone else. No, it's simply that he knows that all the blessings of Christ are contained within the gospel, within that message that Christ died for us and he rose again. And as he comes to make that gospel known, he knows he's giving people the most precious thing in the world. See, churches, they don't just need each other. Different churches are, 
are a network of outposts for God, connected by one message, the gospel. Now, I don't pretend to understand mobile phone technology at all. It still amazes me that I can get a little sort of box out of my pocket and speak to someone anywhere in the country, let alone on the other side of the world. It's just totally crazy. Now, what I do understand is, is that the way that the single signal goes around the world is, is through those masts. Yeah, I, there used to be some, I don't think there are still, that look like trees. I've got a picture of one here. I quite like those. I quite like the masts that look like trees. I think they're quite cool. Yeah. Uh, when apparently the 5G network comes, we'll, we'll have much better connection while the Chinese government sucks the information from our brains. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, but uh, what it'll require is a whole load more of those masts all over the place. Apparently 5G needs lots more little masts. And that's the way that the, the message travels around. Well, that's what churches are. They're a network of gospel transmitters, of little, little masts. That's why God has set them up all, all over the place. It's why they've got to partner together so that good news of Jesus can, can bounce off one church and another and, and reach all over the place. It's not just a good idea to partner with other churches. It's a biblical obligation. And that's why we, uh, we still keep in contact and share things with Emmanuel Epsom, the, the church that was planted from here four years ago. It's why we support David and Heather Moss when they went to Peak Trinity, the church that's being planted in, in Bakewell. It's why we're a member, members of the, the FIEC, the, the Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Churches. I've got a little, little video here. We can, we can learn about a couple of churches this morning. The first church, which is in Portsmouth, is one that Ben Clark, our, our pastor of outreach, was actually doing a weekend away for last weekend. So uh, let's watch a... a couple of minutes on a couple of other churches. Let's not, because we've got no sound. Joy, don't worry, there's no jack I can see from here in it. So there we go. If you go on the FIC website, Type FIC, you can watch a video of a couple of other churches. Just like a normal teaching experience, this. It's why, actually, we get together ministers from other local churches three times a year here at the King Center to encourage them and to pray with them, to help them in their work. It's why we're part of the London Gospel Partnership, so we can support churches all across our great city, telling people about Jesus in places that we'll never go to, that we can't reach ourselves. It's why we support the Good News Hospital in Manjitsara, telling people about Jesus in Madagascar, or Simone in the Philippines, all over the world, partnering with people so that the good news about Jesus is known. It's why I'd uh, really encourage you to pick up one of Ben and Emily's uh, Mission Sweden updates from the back so that you can partner with them as they seek to take the gospel of Sweden. It's why I'd encourage you each month to pick up one of our mission prayer diaries so you can be praying for those who we partner with in the good news of Jesus. And why would you want to pray with them? Well, it's because of the last thing Paul says. He talks about his gospel power, his gospel power. The only command in our section this morning comes in verse 30. Look at the command in verse 30. I urge you, brothers and sisters, 
by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. He says, pray that I'll be kept safe. I pray that the, the money I take will make it to Jerusalem and encourage the church there. I pray that through God's will, I'll be able to come and visit you in Rome. Pray that they'll know God's presence and, and God's peace with them. But, but did you notice how his prayers were described in verse 30? You'll be able to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. It's not, not some sort of serene meditation, is it? It's not sort of emptying his mind, but he describes it as joining in his struggle. Though they can't go to Jerusalem with Paul, it's almost as though they're right there with him, walking every step of the way on the long road, helping him along as he struggles to get there. Now, uh, things get a little intense in our house when I watch rugby. People, uh, people tend to get disappointed if they try and talk to me while I'm watching rugby. There doesn't tend to be a lot of communication going on. I sort of go deaf. But I want you to know it is vital what I'm doing when I watch rugby because I, I get really involved in the game. You know, I, I sit there and um, I, I tense up. The whole of me tenses up. And especially when I'm watching a Welsh game and Wales are closing on the try line, like my thighs go tense, everything's like this. And that's because by the power of my will, I am willing them over the line. In fact, Wales would not have won the Grand Slam recently if I had not been on my sofa like this, willing them over the try line time and time again. I am participating in their struggle very actively and emotionally with them. Well, what Paul says, actually, prayer is a real participation in the struggle of the gospel. In a very real way, the church in Rome can help him as they ask the God of the whole universe to work through him so people hear about Jesus, accept Jesus, are encouraged and helped to follow Jesus, joining in the struggle of the gospel. So let me ask you adults, what are you planning to do on Tuesday evening? What are you planning to do on Tuesday evening? Thank you. Yeah, will, will you come and join in the struggle for Adventurers Club? That's what we're going to do on Tuesday evening. We'll do some struggling. Can I tell you, it will be a struggle to get here. Yeah? It's always hard to come to a prayer meeting. That's because it's a spiritual battle. Yeah? The devil does not stop you watching your Netflix. He won't stop you going to the cinema. He won't stop you sitting at home and having a quiet cup of tea. But he does want to stop you coming to pray. Because when you come to pray, you're working against him as you struggle that the good news, the gospel is heard. So will you, will you come? It'll be far less sweaty than usual. We're going to be in this big room as we struggle together. We're going to struggle for Adventurers Club. That as those precious children are gathered, uh, 90 of them, you can be part of that without even having to deal with any small children. What a great idea. You can be part of struggling that those precious children hear the good news about Jesus by coming on Tuesday night. You don't even have to speak up and pray if you find that scary. You can struggle in your heart and mind. You can be saying amen to the prayers of others. And that'll be a real way of you participating in lives being changed through Adventurers Club at the end of this month. 
You can struggle for, for people on the other side of the world. You probably will never go to Madagascar. But, but, but by being here on Tuesday night, you could be struggling that someone in that hospital, as the gospel is explained to them, that their heart would be open to the message of Jesus. All you have to do, turn up here, 7.45, for an hour and a quarter on Tuesday night. It's not hard, is it? Really, that's not hard. One hour and a quarter on Tuesday, that's all. Come and struggle with us. Because that's the gospel power. The gospel power that changes lives comes as we pray. So what what sort of church do you want to be? What sort of church do we want to be? A church who sees that our great purpose is that we're part of a supernatural community of love being gathered as an offering to God. A church whose great priority is that those who don't yet know Christ hear Christ because they need nothing else more. A church who's who's partnering with others in gospel partnership because we're generous and we want to help and encourage others wherever they are. And a church that seizes gospel power, that seizes gospel power because we don't just say, oh yeah, I believe in prayer. Oh yeah, prayer is important to me. But because we want to struggle ourselves together so that in places we'll never go to and to people we'll never meet, Jesus might change them as the gospel is heard. What sort of church do we want to be? Should we pray together? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as I, as I preach, Lord, I'm convicted once again about what sort of pastor I want to be. And, and it's so far from what you want me to be. And Lord, I guess that, that we look at this sort of church, and we, we know in our heads, we know this makes sense, we know if we believe the gospel, this is, this is true and right, but we are so weak, and we are so sinful, so self-centered, so comfort-obsessed. Father, we desperately need your grace in the Lord Jesus Christ to even begin to be like this. We desperately need the power of your Spirit in our hearts to even want to be like this. So please, gracious Lord, make us what we cannot make ourselves. Uh, Give us a love that we will not feel ourselves. Uh, Give us lives that are Christ-like, that we could never live ourselves. Do this work amongst us for the praise of your glorious name, that on that day when we're gathered with that huge multitude in that extraordinary thing, the church, that we might see that Jesus is honored and praised and glorified because of what you've done through us. And we pray it for his name's sake. Amen.